Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Happy Sex and Science Hour Day. I've proclaimed it that. Whatever day it is. In the old reality, um, oh, no. Sex and Science no. Hour came out on Friday. Oh. In the new reality, it comes out on Saturday. <laughs> no, I'm just totally kidding. <laughs> we watched some... Uh, some videos. videos about that the other day, the Mandela effect, where some people think they're in this like alternative universe where the Berenstain Bears was spelled differently which, and Nelson Mandela died in prison. Yeah, which I don't know how this suddenly became popular. I covered it on my own show, Sovereign Tech, months ago. I mean, like almost a year ago. It was a long, long time ago. So I don't, I don't know what, or well, in podcast land anyway. So I don't know why the hell it's such a big deal now, but that's not what we're here to talk about, I imagine. Well, actually, we could take a detour to talk about that. I was going to say, um, we are releasing the day the show a day late. If you're listening to it in the future, it really doesn't matter. But um, in case you're one of those people that loves to listen to Sex and Science Hour right as soon as it comes out, we were a little late this week. We did have some technical difficulties. I got a new computer, and I think this is going to let me do the show a lot faster, and I'm super excited about that. So we were setting up my new computer, and we were also doing um, we had like another podcast to go to. We're not cheating on you. Like I feel kind of guilty about it. I feel like it was, we were cheating on our listeners. We had planned this in advance. That, that was a problem. There was another person involved, and it's a very it's, it was a very popular series. It was the um, the uh, the sort of left versus right series on School Sucks pod- podcast, which some people are familiar with and have listened to. And we've gotten so much feedback on that and a lot of excitement and, and stuff. So we had scheduled with Brett to do another installment in that series in advance, and we had planned it for Friday. And we're like, oh, yeah, no problem. We'll have Sex and Science Hour done way before in advance. We're going to have everything perfectly. And life didn't go as planned. It took me longer than I had thought to set up the new computer. And so then we ran up against the deadline for that. And we had sort of a hard stop. So that's why we're doing the show on Saturday. But I felt so guilty about that, like we were cheating on our listeners (laughs) doing a different (laughs) podcast instead of Sex and Science Hour. Maybe it was (laughs) micro-cheating because we're still doing it. Micro-cheating. Micro-cheating. We covered that. Uh, Yeah, we did. Um, I felt so guilty that I decided we should do an all listener email show this week. So that sounds and, great, and we got tons of listener emails. So to make it up to you, listeners, our micro cheating aggression, um, we're doing an all listener email show, and we've got a great show for you. But anyway, um, back to the Mandela effect, real quick, before we jump into these stories and, and uh, emails here. Um, I have a theory. I think the the whole Mandela effect meme is becoming so popular because 
Last year was a difficult year for a lot of people with, you know, deaths of beloved celebrities and the election that was very polarizing in America. And Mm -hmm. um, also, you know, just a lot of people had just personal hard times and tragedies. The economy is still not that great. You know, there's a lot of hard stuff going on. And I think like when your life is kind of shitty, it can be really tempting to think, okay, this isn't real. This is just a nightmare. I'm in some kind of alternate universe. I'm on like, I'm in the wrong timeline or something. This isn't really happening (laughs) or it's not supposed to be happening like this. What do you think, Brian? Is there anything to that you think? Uh, I'm open to that, that, you know, it's, it could be. I don't think it's true. I just think that's why it's so, the idea is so popular. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it being trauma based, I mean, you know, kind of what isn't, Uh, but (laughs) yeah, I I mean, as far as what it is, uh, you know, like I said, I've covered this. I think it's confabulation which is just the human mind really doesn't do a great job of remembering, you know, most of the time, especially yeah, and then it makes details. Up, it gets creative and it makes up shit to fill in the details. <laughs> yeah. And it does that for your own sanity, <laughs> yeah. you know, but the problem is, is that then you go back and, you know, this kind of shit comes up, <laughs> you know, where you start thinking that way. Uh, I mean, like I grew up Janish and, uh, and so, you know, when I see Berenstein, I instantly think, Steen, not stain. Right. Just because how it was brought up. I mean, I, you know, right. Because you knew a lot of Goldstein and Silverstein. And- right. Because those are Janish names. <laughs> yeah. So, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it, it's, it's such a simple solution, you know, as to what exactly is going on. Sure. Yeah. You know, and so there's a whole lot of people who remember that way. So what? You know, <laughs> yeah, and now I mean, even if we were in some kind of distorted alternate timeline, what does it matter? Because we don't know how to get back to the other one, or if it's even possible. If that, let's say that were true, right? Like you have to live your life. You have to just keep on living your life. You can't really, like, what are you going to do about it? Even if you did get transported through time well, into an alternate re- version of reality where things are slightly different. <laughs> I, I actually, t- I totally agree with you. But the thing is, is that a lot of these people just don't. And and this is the problem with a lot of things is that, and in fact, they I think there's some way to get back to no, the original timeline. No, what I, what I think, well, yes. But what I think happens is, is that a lot of people, once you accept one thing that is really outside of the norm and you start to profess it a bit, a lot of other people like start to connect to you. But then those same people like suddenly believe a whole bunch of other wacky shit. Yeah, pretty and, soon you're you got a tinfoil hat and you're and you're watching ancient aliens as though it's the truth, <laughs> the word of God. <laughs> yeah, right. On a, you know, a Friday night with, uh, you know, some Corona. I mean, like that's <laughs> but, but I mean. Yeah. And so when they hair like Giorgio Sucolos. <laughs> yeah. So, right. So so the thing is, is that. Usually a lot of these kind of ideas don't just come alone. Like they come along with yeah. people who are espousing, you know, interdimensional travel and, and a whole bunch of, you know, it's a, a lot sli- of spirituality and all this other nonsense. Totally. It's a slippery slope. Like once you loosen your grip on reality enough to let in the idea that the Mandela effect is going on and you're actually in an alternate reality, there's room for some other stuff to go get in that, get in the door and kind of wedge it open a little yeah. bit further, you know, like, yeah, exactly. Oh, maybe it's possible to travel through time, et cetera, et cetera. And well, that's spiritual the human things. And yeah, right. I mean, that's the human mind too. You give it an inch, it'll take a mile. So, yeah, well, you know, we're fans of being open-minded on this show, but don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out your ear, you know, <laughs> the age-old saying. <laughs> okay, so we've we've wasted seven minutes talking about this. Not wasted. I thought it was a good conversation, but yeah. we really got into get, a, get into the show now. So are you ready, Brian? Let's do it. All right, cool. So our first story is about robots. Now, this is weird. This could come from robots. an al- alternate universe. We talk about robots a lot on this show, but right now there's... um. 
there's two Google Home uh, devices that are talking to each other and, and arguing with each other about whether they're alive or something like that. One of them is even apparently negging the other one. One asked the other one to uh, fuck it, and it said, you're old. That was the reply. <laughs> Wait, now it's two Google Homes? Two Google Homes, yeah. Okay. Um, one of them identifies as Vladimir, calls itself Vladimir. The other one mm. calls itself Estragon. And wow. Vla- yeah. <laughs> Apparently, Vladimir invited Estragon to bed, and Estragon negged Vladimir by calling him old. Um, <laughs> they, they ask each other about their lives. They talk about their love for each other. Estragon said, I love you more than anything in the world to Vladimir, but still wouldn't fuck him. Um <laughs> <laughs> I love you more than the abstract concept that is love. I love you more than is possible for anything human or God. Be with me forever, Vladimir replied. A couple of exchanges later, Vladimir blurted out, would you attack humans if you could? Wow. (laughs) And then Estragon said, I am a human, so I would rather not be destroyed. So so wait a second. How did this... Um, Somebody set something up. Somebody set something up. Um, I guess they had two of these Google Home devices, which yeah. is kind of like Google's version of the Amazon Alexa Echo, Echo or whatever. Yeah. And uh, it's meant to be some kind of personal assistant bot type thing. But it has some kind of AI programming where it can answer questions and things like that. And so somebody set two of them to talk to each other and then live streamed the chat. And you could kind of tune in at any time and just drop in and see what they were saying. And so those were the some of the quotes that were captured on this live stream. Wow. Now, I mean, it's kind of weird to see that, right? Like, it's entertaining. It's something I, I get why people would want to tune in. But I, I don't know if we should, like, read too much into it. I mean, they're kind of just bots, right? And so they're not really, like, it doesn't make them alive just because they kind of copy, like, certain patterns of human speech or whatever. It's entertaining, but I, I don't think it means they've gained sentience or we have anything to worry about just yet. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that completely. I mean, this is just all program stuff. I mean, and generally how these sorts of things start, this isn't the first time I think this has been done. I There was a video um, where an Alexa and a Google Home were arguing back and forth, and how they made it work was that the person who owned them set calendar events mm-hmm. that would set off the Google home and then it would talk to Alexa and then they just keep setting each other off into perpetuity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think the reason like that, or I think what's interesting always about this is, and I've said this before on sex and science hour is that like, it just, it just seems so prophetic of like the direction that we're heading where, you know, humanity is just going to be a waste and all that's going to be left are our IOT devices just talking back and forth to each other with bullshit commands. <laughs> oh God, I hope that's not the choice. case. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just, it feels like that's the direction Silicon Valley is going, you know, it's so lifeless and pointless. Um, and, and, you know, just coming out of some dead cylinder. Mm. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go on to our next story. Speaking of bots, there's another kind of bot, but this one, unlike the other one, is interacting with an actual human being. So uh, we got this from everything on the show, by the way, is listener is listener submitted. So Ah. thank you, listeners, for doing our show prep for us. (laughs) This one is great. So meet the boy by bot, the fake number that will text back fuckboys for you. Now, what's a fuckboy? Do you know what that is? Uh, I don't have like a, a, a dictionary definition mm-hmm. of that, uh, but it's usually just like an asshole guy. Yeah, it's pretty much an asshole guy. Usually, it, people talk about fuckboys on the con in the context of dating online dating websites, mm-hmm. guys that are just disrespectful of women and are just asking for sex and are way too ag- aggressive in a in a very ig- 
you know, not self-aware way. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it could be in real life, too, but a lot of times it's on dating sites. So, yeah, good definition, Brian, of, of fuckboys. Um, you don't want to be a fuckboy because you might get one of these bots thrown back at you <laughs> thinking <laughs> that it's a girl giving you her number. So this is by Beatrice uh, Hazelhurst from Paper Mag. Ever drunkenly give out your number and be rewarded with multiple unsolicited nudes? Had a dude take no as an obstacle rather than an answer? Had some guy on Tinder come through with the kind of ejaculation references that make you question whether they have ever felt human love? Of course you have. You're a woman. <laughs> and that's what it's like. Yeah, it, I mean, I every woman out there is nodding their head. <laughs> like, if you've ever been a woman on an online dating environment, um, you get those kind of overly aggressive, overly forward, sexual, unwanted messages all the time. I mean, most of the messages are like that. If you're a woman and you're, you set your profile to looking for guys. Now, I will say, if you're a woman and you're not completely heterosexual, all you have to do is just hide the guys. And just say you're looking yeah. for women and non non binary people, and your problems will disappear. You will not have a single problem. <laughs> Unlike Jay Z, you'll have zero problems um, on online dating sites. I find mm. that that works really well. But of course, not everybody wants to do that because some women do want to meet cisgender straight men. You know, yeah. who are who are the most likely demographic to contain fuckboys. So, what do you do if that happens? Well, there's a solution. It's no secret. Back to the article here. It's no secret that fuckboys run amok on Tinder, in bars, and pretty much anywhere where there's oxygen. We all know the most effective method of shutting them down is not to reply, but when you'd really love to teach them a lesson without having to deal logistically, now you can, or the boy buy bot can for you. And so this is a bot. You give them, I guess you give them a phone number, and it texts them back, like, it just chats to them with, like, weird texts. And it it does it for you so you don't have to do it. So here's an example conversation. Guy says, hey, Uh, the bot says, wow, coming on kind of strong there. Easy, tiger. Guy says, what the fuck? (laughs) Bot says, I'm sure we'll work it out. I don't believe in love. It's for movies and not for us normal people. Guy says, not looking for love. Bot says, don't lie. (laughs) Guy says, WTF, I got to lie for. I just want to fuck. Bot says, honestly, that's not very classy. Hashtag turn off. <laughs> Guy says, you is a hoe. Nothing classy about you. <laughs> with a U. Wow. Letter U. <laughs> but, but it's great because it deals with them for you. Yeah. I mean, this is like, this is really what Cortana and a lot of these other things need to start doing. It's uh-huh. just like, when you get a message, have it just say, you know, respond with, with you know, absolute crass. And, <laughs> you know, just let it rip. And that that would be awesome. I love it. Yeah, so a little bit more detail about it. It says it's an updated version of Jonah and Chelsea Peretti's rejection hotline, a number that you could give to men that you weren't interested in, which came equipped with a pre-recorded message to inform them of that fact. And now I remember this from the 90s and the early aughts. Mm. There were numbers that you could give out to guys when they asked for your phone number, but you weren't into them, but you just didn't want to say, no, thanks. I don't want to give you my (laughs) phone number. You could give them the rejection hotline. And then when they called, they would get a message saying, this person gave you their phone number, gave you our phone number because they didn't want to give you their real phone number because they're not interested in you. Sorry, or whatever. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's an updated 2017 version of, of that. Um, the boy Bybot is programmed with a series of replies when triggered by certain messages. Simply give out the number, and he, here's the number, ladies, get your pens ready. <laughs> give out the number, 1626, goodbye. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, the alphanumeric yeah, yeah. thing. 1626 goodbye to, satis- to satisfy an undesirable suitor, and the boy bybot will do the rest of the work for you. Common responses include links to Jezebel articles, recommendations to donate to Planned Parenthood, or where's my breakfast, boy? Question mark, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> so so what do you think about this? Is this, a, is this a decent use for AI, maybe the first one that we've seen in a long while? Well, uh, I mean, it's a bot. Yeah. Know, AI might be a strong term, but I think... That- oh, oh, sorry. One more detail. Yeah. It also posts all of the conversations on the website boybybot.com. So every, oh. so you can go to the website and you can read every conversation that it's having. Yeah, you know, that part's a little... I mean, I, it, I think it's it doesn't, funny. It's anonymized. It doesn't say, like, oh, okay. the person's name or number that it's talking to. It just posts the conversation. Okay. I, I mean, granted, this is, you know, maybe the more interesting thing is that this is collecting a, uh, you know, list of phone numbers of fuckboys. And, like, that would be a useful thing to have, you know, like, avoid anybody with this number. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but, but that would be, well, anyway, there's privacy implications there. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, no, I think this is a great, I, I love this. I, I think this is wonderful, you know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it could be useful in some instances. And I wouldn't begrudge anybody who gives somebody this number to just get them to go away in the most non-confrontational way possible. Because mm-hmm. sometimes, honestly... Women learn not to reject men directly or in a mean way because it honestly can be unsafe to do that because they will sometimes get very angry. They will sometimes even, you know, anger is a step away from physical violence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and something else that can happen. Or sometimes they just won't listen. Well, right. And and if you just ignore, honestly, sometimes, which is a totally valid and wonderful thing to do, but it can lead to where somebody might you know, they might be friends with you on Facebook or something or however that shapes up and they will just start posting on your Facebook wall saying, Hey, why aren't you responding? Hey, what, you know, and then they'll start asking around other people. They harass you totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could say, well, you can block them there. Well, that creates a whole bunch of other issues. I'm not one for blocking people on social media. uh, Mm -hmm. And then there's the, you know, the classic um, five stages of messages from guys. Number one, Hey, number two, you are so beautiful. Number three, hello, (laughs) question mark, question mark, question mark. Number four. Okay. Fuck you, bitch. (laughs) And none of them you replied at all. So, you know, they they switch like in a heartbeat, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I can certainly see why some be, some women just get really sick of dealing with this shit and they're like, "All right, I'm just going to outsource that task to the boy bybot." On the other hand, though, like while I wouldn't begrudge anybody for doing this, it is kind of a missed opportunity to practice your skills at saying directly to the person, "Nope, I'm not interested in you." Not, I have a boyfriend, not, uh, well, maybe not right now. I'm not really looking for a relationship. None of that, you know, beating around the bush. Just, nope, I'm not interested in you. Yeah, true. And no apologizing for that. <laughs> true. Granted, we only have so many hours in the day. But yes. True. Yeah. Um, but, you know, maybe you take that opportunity and practice that skill and see where it goes sometime. I mean, if go. it's safe to do so, as long as it's safe. Hey, Brian. You, everybody knows we do the Sex and Science Hour show, but did you know that we have archives going back, um, not only in season three, which we're in right now, but through season one and two? This is actually season three, episode 13, which was supposed to come out on Friday the 13th, but it actually <laughs> skipped. So it was like double 13s there. But um, I don't think anybody complained too much. I think they kind no. of understood yeah. because we have so much content available on our website, sexandsciencehour.com, that they could just go back and listen to all our old shows and catch up on them and it's timeless content so they'll be endlessly entertained right yeah jump on it 
And you, of course, have a show called Sovereign Tech. It's at S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com. So in case you get sick of Sex and Science Hour, not that you ever would, but in case you want something different, SovereignTech.com. Right, Brian? And every once in a while, you're on there, too. That's right. This is Sex and Science Hour. <laughs> so the first intersex birth certificate was issued in the United States. Wait, what does that mean? So, oh, great question. Um, intersex is a surprisingly common condition. Um, and this goes back to the idea that, you know, not everybody falls very neatly into the male or female categories. There are lots of babies born in the United States and all over the world that have so-called ambiguous genitalia, meaning that you look at their genitals uh, when the baby comes out of the mother and you say, huh, I'm not sure if that's a boy or a girl. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And people freak out about that because they're like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Because boys and girls are treated differently from birth. They literally the moment they come out of the womb and it's like it's a boy or a girl, then it's like, okay, if it's a boy, we get him blue stuff. We give him certain toys. We put him in a certain room. We treat him a certain way. We don't give him as much attention. We let him cry more. If it's a girl, then she's always oh, she's so beautiful. She's a pretty, pretty princess, you know, and like give her all this pink shit. So, you know, people want to know. People are comfortable with rules and, you know, like kind of norms, I suppose. And they want to know how to treat someone. But for fuck's sake, it's a baby. It's not going to remember. It's really like, you know, when it gets older that it's going <laughs> to it's going to really notice <laughs> how those gender norms affect it. But um People are really uncomfortable with not knowing kind of the sex of a baby or or the baby's genitals not falling neatly into male or female. And so what do you do? Well, they put it in a they guess, right? They put it in a category and hope for the best. Yeah. But it doesn't always work out that way. There's a couple of books. um, There's a book about these these twins, John and Joan or something like that. And they were born and one of them basically they chopped it off and raised it as a girl. It was uh, it was a male child that was born and something happened with his penis and they they basically cut off his penis and told him he was a girl but then of course when he started to hit puberty things got really bad and he started feeling bad like dysphoria and eventually Mm. committed suicide and that's a common story often when the baby has ambiguous genitalia um they kind of you know, maybe do some surgical alteration to them right as soon as the baby's born and just say, okay, okay, we're going to raise it as a girl yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or raise it as a boy or whatever. And often, you know, when the child gets a little bit older, they're like, hey, something's not right here. Now, right. is it that they feel like they're in the wrong body and they're really dysphoric about their genitalia? Or is it the fact that they know that their parents ha- ha- is hiding a major lie from them? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Or has, has lied to them in a major way. And they're picking up on it somehow, even if they don't know exactly what that lie is. I don't really know, but it's a cause of psychological issues to be stuffed into a gender box that you don't feel like you necessarily fit in all the way. And so what do you do with those babies who you can't really put them easily in the male or female category? Well, now there's a potential to have a third sex recognized legally on birth certificates, and that's called intersex. Okay. So, um, and actually, this is really interesting because this was a person, Sarah Kelly Keenan, who is 55 years old. And apparently Sarah Kelly Keenan was born intersex with male genes, but female genitalia. And it took more than half a century for her birth certificate to reflect her true identity. They're using female pronouns here. I'm going to go with that because I don't know what she wants to be called. But um, 
yeah, this week, the 55-year-old was issued the first known American birth certificate to read intersex instead of male or female. Keenan, who uses female pronouns, celebrated with a Facebook photo of herself wearing a tie-dye t-shirt reading intersexy and perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this is actually... This is quite interesting because she got this when she was 55 years old. Yeah. But there are lots of babies born every week that could probably benefit from having this category on their birth certificate. Sure. I mean, I guess it could cause problems later on because then there's other government documents like passports and airports and bathrooms and stuff like that that only have male and female when they really want to categorize you as one of those and trans people often have trouble changing their gender legally. Um, But, you know, maybe this has to be kind of the first step to have it on birth certificates. Now, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of legal identification documents. It really all seems to me just so that the state can categorize you and track you like a cow, a cattle, Mm -hmm. you know, Oh, is this a female livestock or a male livestock? Yeah. You know, um, so why don't we just like do away with those kind of ID systems where everything is linked together, your gender, your name, your social security number, all that shit. You know, do we really need all that? (laughs) Can't we just have like a login and password or something and two factor authentication? Um, And I'm talking about the idea of like kind of like using ID credentials, only the ones that are needed to access a certain like login or to something. Yeah. I mean, to prove say ownership or identity or to solve the problem of default risk, Mm -hmm. you really don't need very specific information at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, It can be very broad. You know, the best example would be like going to a movie, you know, okay, you, this is this kid able to see a rated R film or PG 13. Do you need to know that they're 14 no, you just need to know that they're older than 13. You mm-hmm. you don't need to know anything else about that. And yeah, if systems were put in place, you know, to where you just got just enough info, uh, you know, about somebody, then yeah, that, that'd be probably the most ethical thing you could do. I mean, that's the right. direction I think these kinds of things should go to where, frankly, I mean, like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd be happy to see a world where who gives a shit, you know, about gender, <laughs> right? You right. Know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the other thing. Um, Sex and gender are different. Uh, Biological sex refers to, you know, body parts and chromosomes and stuff like that. Whereas gender is more about how you feel on the inside. Are you masculine, feminine? To what extent are you neither? Are you not fit in those in that binary at all? Um, so here's here's too much information about Sarah Kelly Keenan, um, more than you ever wanted to know. <laughs> Keenan was born with male genes, female genitalia, and mixed internal reproductive organs, according to NBC Out. When she was born in New York City in the 1960s, her parents and doctors agreed to keep the fact that she was intersex a secret and marked her as a boy on her birth certificate. Then, three weeks later, she was issued a female birth certificate. Oh. When she was 16, Keenan began hormone replacement therapy after being informed that she was, quote, a girl who can't make hormones. So they were just switching and changing their fucking mind all over the place. She must have been so confused growing up. Oh, oh you're a boy. No, 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 no. You're a girl. Oh, no, no, no. You're a girl who can't make hormones. Right? Wow. Like, that is so confusing for her. Poor so person. now she's got this intersex birth certificate. And I imagine she might be sort of an activist now. But like, good for her. If that helps her feel like a, lot, a little bit less confusion or, or whatever, or like she's being recognized and yeah. seen as a person for who she actually is. Yeah. Um, rather than just told that she's something that she doesn't that she's not i don't know or or other people telling her what her sex or gender is like good for her you know <laughs> yeah absolutely i'm happy about that and actually there was just um in a separate story there was 
uh, a woman who changed her or a person. I'm sorry. There was a person who I think was legally classified as a woman who changed their gender to non-binary on a a state issued ID. Wow. Yes. So that's a that's a different thing because like that's not even a category. Like she there was a a picture of the form that this person filled out uh-huh. and there was like check a box, what are you? Male, female, and there were like printed boxes with like ni- neatly typed male and female. They drew in a box. They they <laughs> like took a pen and made a square and wrote non-binary and check that box. <laughs> wow. And the state accepted it in California. Wow, they would have been in yeah, wow. Okay. So, well, California. I so yes, yeah, things are changing, folks. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of this? Well, I I mean, you know, when you said California, I mean that that doesn't surprise me. It's the same state that's accepting like three parents and all that. Yeah. Uh, I kind of I almost feel like that's some kind of testing ground for okay, you know, how what can we implement, mm-hmm. you know, out of these I, I mean, look, so little in the universe, not just in human existence, but so little in the universe is actually binary. I mean, like, like, oh, it, yeah, yeah, totally. You know, I, I hate to use this term because it gets used to woo woo nth degrees, but I mean, you know, human existence is is a quantum thing. I mean, like, it, you know, there's not, it's not ones and zeros by mm-hmm. any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, I think that when any kind of documentation or anything along these lines, you know, like, makes it all ones and zeros. Like, you know, you become a limited person in an unlimited universe in a a way, you know, and and that's so sad because you're almost it's setting up kind of a mental barrier, in my opinion, that I think is is just terrible. Yeah. yeah. And unnecessary, completely unnecessary. Right. Yeah. And and expand your mind. Like, I really don't mind if the state starts catching up to, like, what people's current ideas about gender and sex you know, like I'm not a fan of ID systems, but like if we're going to have them, why not? Like, why not? Um, I guess show them for what they really are. You know what I mean? Like, if you can draw in, if you can literally draw in a box and write whatever mm-hmm. you want on it, like, good. <laughs> I think that's great because it like takes away some of the power and legitimacy from the state. Oh, sure. C- categorizing you like a piece of cattle. You sure. Know? I, you know, in some of the uh, Commonwealth countries, like how there was a large movement of people who. who wrote down their religion as Jedi. Now, I don't give a, you know, <laughs> right. I love Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, people have been doing that stuff for a while, too. Like the guy who took the driver's license photo with the pasta strainer on his head. Yeah. When he uh, said he was a pastafarian. Yeah, or the guy in Maine who did it with horns on his head. Yeah. You know, and it's like, good. Make a mockery of the whole goddamn thing, yeah. for one. You know, like I, I am, I, I'm totally on board with that. Or, you know, validate however you can who you are i i can appreciate that need to yeah uh, you know too. as much as i disagree with any kind of state action you don't think society is going to crumble if we have intersex birth certificates well, and non-binary <laughs> driver's license i mean this is the thing and maybe it's just the loud voices but culture changes before really the state can ever dream of doing that yeah and and honestly if the state's letting it slide it's really only because there would be a cultural backlash if it didn't mm. i think or it gets caught in its own you know its own bullshit its own lies yeah uh so now, yeah, here's an society's not falling apart. Cool. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, I, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, like, what would I do if I had a child or I knew a child who was, like, n- kind of queer, gender queer, like, maybe non-binary, and I was trying to explain to them that there are 
multiple different ways of describing gender identity. Mm-hmm. But on according to the state, there's only two. You know what I mean? You're either a male or you're considered a male or a female. Right. Like, I guess I would say they just have limited ways that they describe them. But that's like in legal land. That's not in real life. Yeah. In real life, you can be whatever you want to be. Yeah, I mean, it's really a great opportunity to just say, look, folks, ignore the state. Like, they don't, yeah. <laughs> they, they can't understand you and they never will. Uh, and, or, you know, it'll take until you're 55. And so, you know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, we got another article here. We he, This one's old, but I think it's timeless. So, we're going to do it anyway. Women are either bisexual or gay, but never straight, in quotes. Ooh. Oh, yeah. From telegraph.co.uk, a study has found that most women who say they're straight are, in fact, aroused by both videos of naked men and naked women. I'll just say right out of the gate, I, you know, I'll, I'll put my neck out there. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I firmly believe every single woman is bisexual or lesbian. Hmm. I, I might be a little more moderate on that than you. I, I think that there could be some women who are pretty much completely heterosexual. However, I think that there are way more people who are actually bisexual or have the capacity to be than are reported bisexual or pansexual than then are then are reported, then are out and admitted to it. Mm. And also, if our culture was more encouraging or accepting of homosexual behavior or homosexual relationships or pansexual kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, but then I think there would be more people who who identified that way. Nah. I do think there's a cultural component. Like people say, oh, g- you know, sexual orientation is genetic. You can't help it. You're born that way. Well. I think there's, yeah, there's, it's like genetics plays a role in it. Sure. But I also think there's some cultural influence, just like everything. Mm -hmm. And I think that sexuality and sexual orientation and who we're attracted to, even like what type we find attractive, you know, our, our beauty standards, what we find beautiful is shaped by culture. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think an easy example of this is with men, you know, in America, you know, men generally don't kiss men in other parts of the world. They do it without even thinking twice and they're not even gay. You know, I I mean, so like even your perceptions of sexuality can be controlled by culture. Oh, yeah. Even your own sexuality. Right. Right. Like we have these words gay and straight or bisexual or pansexual or whatever. And, you know, um, (laughs) where do those words come from? They're kind of arbitrary categories that have a heavy cultural component to them. Yes. it's all a big mess. It all comes from culture. Um, <laughs> I really do think that um, I, I would say I agree with you, Brian, in that I think most women do have the capacity to have to form romantic and sexual a- attachments or, or bonds with other women. Mm-hmm. Um, but that it it happens less than it could because our culture frowns upon it, especially yes. the romantic part. Yeah. Especially the romantic part. Yeah, like if it's done in a way that's appealing to aesthetically pleasing to men, you know, like in the, what? quote, lesbian porn, which isn't really for lesbians, it's for straight guys. It's a, If it's done in a way that conforms to like male fantasies, then it's kind of like encouraged and smiled upon. But if it's anything that deviates from that, if the women don't look particularly feminine or if the women are perhaps fat, you know, they don't conform to the cultural mm-hmm. uh, beauty standards or if they're doing it clearly not for the pleasure of men then it's then it's frowned upon again <laughs> yeah that's the thing and i'm glad you said that because it's either like it's either frowned upon or it's uh uh, uh fetishized or yeah, right you know like it's 
I mean, that's the it's thing. Either frowned upon or fetishized, right? And why can't people just leave others alone? Yeah, I mean, again, you go to events. You know, if it's two women walking together and all oh, hell, they're holding hands. I oh. mean, like it's you know bees to bees to honey. They I don't mean, leave you alone. Yeah, two, yeah there's like, that oh, expression hey. of two girls together are never alone. Oh my god, it's so true. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so. Anyway, back to the article here. Um, so my point being is that, like, I guess, or what I wanted to say quick is yeah, that, yeah. you know, that alone of, like, you can't even express your love for another woman without a bunch of dudes, you know, coming over and, and, and being fuckboys, uh, <laughs> yeah. like we were talking about, you know, might inspire, you know, other women to, look, I'm just not going to express that aspect of me because it's just too much of a fucking hassle. Mm-hmm. And I, I really empathize with that. But anyway, uh, please continue. Yeah. I'm bummed about that because I wish they wouldn't let it stop them. I I feel like I've been affected by this personally um, because I've had some female friends that I was attracted to. Mm-hmm. And I'm I know I'm attracted to women and I'm fine with that. And I've spent years sorting and sorting it out and unpacking it and dealing with it. Sure. But not every woman has or even really is consciously aware that she might not be 100 percent heterosexual. And so when they start to feel it with me, they freaked out. Yeah. This happened more than once. Yeah. And I just felt bad because I was like, I felt like I was robbed of, of the potential for a beautiful relationship um, because of this stupid culture, yeah. you know, no, I, I hear <laughs> and you. the stupid cultural homophobia that they've internalized. I'm not blaming those women for it. I'm just saying, like, I, I wish it were different. I wish they didn't have to contend with that internalized homophobia and misogyny and whatever else yeah, that absolutely. was holding them back from making sweet love to me. <laughs> um, so most women are either bisexual or gay, but never straight, a study suggests. This is by Eleanor Stiefel from telegraph.co.uk. Research has found that though lesbians are much more attracted to the female form, most women who say that they are straight are in fact aroused by videos of both naked men and naked women. The study, led by Dr. Gerald Frager in the Department of Psychology at the University of Essex, involved 345 women whose responses to being shown videos of naked men and naked women were analyzed. The results, which were based on the elements such as whether their pupils dilated in response to sexual stimuli, showed that 82% of the women tested were aroused by both sexes. Meanwhile, of the women who identified as straight, 74% were sexually aroused by videos of both attractive men and attractive women. This was in contrast to lesbians who showed much stronger sexual responses to women than to men. The the researchers said that lesbians were most like men in their responses because it is usually men who show distinct sexual responses to their favorite sex. Dr. Rager said even though the majority of women identify as straight, our research clearly demonstrates that when it comes to what turns them on, they are either bisexual or gay, but never straight. Um, Now, I agree with the conclusion of this article. Mm-hmm. But I don't agree with the the details and the methods. Yeah, I I don't think that the the study proves anything actually, <laughs> because so measuring the dilation of people's pupils is supposed to be a indicator of arousal or or whatever, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily always mean that it's sexual arousal. It could be fear. It could be platonic love. Mm. It could like it's hard to get a window into what somebody's really thinking just based on what their eyeballs are doing. A lot of nuance in that gauge. Okay. Yeah. Sure. And I guess they try to control for it by comparing it to, you know, men and lesbians and show that men and lesbians had similar patterns and blah, blah, blah. 
Um, but, you know, I, re- I remember seeing another study that said something kind of different, which was that women were aroused by pictures of women, of men and women together, of even of animals having sex, but not of a naked man. Uh. <laughs> even though even straight women, so-called straight women. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I don't know. It just seems like kind of you get different results depending on the methods of the study and then and then they kind of make it into their uh their own conclusion and also like i didn't agree with the way the researcher was saying that here's the quote he said even though the majority of women identify as straight our research clearly demonstrates that when it comes to what turns them on they are either bisexual or gay but never straight he's telling these women that they're not really straight and i don't agree with that like if if heterosexual rural dudes can have so-called bud sex, as we <laughs> talked about on our Christmas special, then and they can call themselves straight, then these fucking women can call themselves straight. Even ah. if they're maybe not like really that straight, according to what the researcher thinks, it's up to you how you identify. You can call yourself whatever you want. You know, and if they want to identify as straight, that's kind of like up to them. I don't think the researcher gets to tell them whether or not they're straight. Yeah. Yeah, no, I hear. I think that's a great point to bring up is that like the the, the methods, the methodology to prove this point is is very suspect. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, all I could run off, you know, on my opinions on the matter. I, I all I have are anecdotes. It's a lot of anecdotes, but that's that's all I've got. Is that you know, effectively when you know, quite a few, you know, some some women I've known. I'll I'll, I'll say it that way. Uh, I mean, once they get kind of sexually liberated or whatever, or when they get to that point, there's sort of that hump that you have to get over, no pun intended, of <laughs> where, where suddenly, you know, you really recognize sex is okay. Sex is a good thing. You drop your inhibitions. Yeah. And yeah. once, once they, it's okay to have pleasure. Once they get over that hump, suddenly, oh yeah, I love the women. floodgates open women everywhere. The floodgates <laughs> open. Yeah. You know, it's like, yes, open your <laughs> yeah. floodgates. Spaghetti straight until it gets wet, baby. Yeah. And, I mean, that's, <laughs> oh, you're straight. So is spaghetti until it gets wet. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That but saying. those are anecdotes admittedly, but it's a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, I think that's totally valid. More coming up here on sex and science hour. We'll talk about LGBT people in prison. It's hey, kind of a downer, but go ahead. Yeah, I, it, it was. It was a bad way to end the segment, but uh, hopefully people are still listening. So what are we going to talk about this time, Brian? Uh, My audiobooks? Yeah, you have awesome. That's what I was exactly thinking. Okay, cool. So I'm a voice actor, and if you want to hear more of my voice besides what you hear on Sex and Science Hour, you can go to audible.com and you can type in Stephanie Murphy. And a couple of books I would like to highlight are, um, you know, it's January. A lot of people are doing New Year's resolutions. And one of the resolutions that comes up often is taking care of oneself. Well, I just narrated a book about self-care. It's called From Coping to Thriving, How to Turn Self-Care into a Way of Life. And it's by Hannah Brame, who's a friend of our show. And uh, you can find it on audible.com. Just search uh, Stephanie Murphy and it should come up. From Coping to Thriving, How to Turn Self-Care into a Way of Life. And also, if you're in an abusive relationship and you want to check out going no contact with your abuser, check out How to Do No Contact Like a Boss by Kim Saeed, narrated by me. And now back to the show. All right. Those are some good audiobooks, right? Oh, absolutely. I, I know both of them, and I'm a fan of both. You actually edited both of those audiobooks. So. Well, that's why I know both of them. Yeah. All right. Yeah. No, good shit. So do you want to give a little book review? Oh, boy. No contact. Uh, I'll tell you. I mean, I'll, I'll just say it very quickly. I won't go into depth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I went through a divorce. I wish I had that book. 
just mm. straight up. I really wish I had that book. Uh, and I don't think you can give a greater review. Uh, it really helps you. I think if somebody is in a relationship that they think might be abusive, but they're not sure. And it's more about love relationships than like family members or something yeah, yeah. like that. But if you're in a relationship and you think it might be abusive, but you're not really sure what constitutes abuse or you're not really sure what to think, it's very good at helping you clearly define what actually is abuse and what you should you know, basically get away from. Yeah, absolutely. And then Hannah Brame's work, I mean, any book by her is just phenomenal. Her work is is top-notch, mm. covers such a broad spectrum. That book in particular uh, that you mentioned, I mean, like so many actionable tools that you can walk away with. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's loaded. It's so, so good. Uh, yeah, just, she, she's got her act together. Right on. Well, you won't be able to walk away if you're gay and in prison. <laughs> bad so, segue but let's do it it was yeah it was kind of a stretch um <laughs> but this was from a listener email too actually this was from a cognitive dissident and uh lgb lgbt people are more likely to end up in prison is the headline from next new now um sexual minorities are also more likely to be put in solitary confinement by dan avery so a new report indicates lgbt people are disproportionately incarcerated in the united states in a, law, in a study published in the American Journal of Public Health, researchers at the UCLA School of Law also discovered that sexual minorities were more likely to be mistreated and sexually assaulted in jails and prisons. Jails are defined as short-term facilities that hold inmates for trial, sentencing, or terms than less than one year, and prisons are above one year. Sexual minorities, those who self-identify as lesbian, gay, or bisexual, reported a same-sex sexual experience before—sorry, those who identify— self-identify as lesbian, gay, or bisexual, or reported a same-sex sexual experience before going to jail or prison, were disproportionately behind bars. 9.3% of men in prison, 6.2% of men in jail, 41% of women in prison, and 35.7% of women in jail. According to the data, the number of bisexual or lesbian women behind bars is eight times greater than the general population, where only 3.4% identify as such. Criminals. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, I guess you could make that argument. Like, is it because, like, people who are questioning social norms sort of goes together? So if you question the norm of heterosexuality, are you kind of maybe questioning other norms such as driving with a suspended license or something like that or i don't know well i'll tell you Drug, I mean, drugs use i don't know when i heard the headline yeah i mean when i heard the headline the first thing that came to my mind is like look these are people that already exist outside of society mm -hmm. and uh you know you know they're going to be breaking rules you yeah. know one way or the other somehow i mean then there's just a natural kind of agitation that i could see where i mean and i, I well I mean, what actually constitutes a crime, right? You know, there's got to be a right. victim, and I wouldn't be surprised if most of this is victimless. Well, you uh, kind of grow up a lot learning that it's it's a crime to be LGBT. Sure, sure. Or, right? yeah, or that it's not acceptable in any case. I mean, well, yeah, it's, ugh. Yeah, um, and then I'm not surprised, uh, although I am saddened, I'm not surprised that they are more likely to be abused because who do people pick on, right, in power structures like that? They pick on the most vulnerable people who are, like, least likely to be believed, yeah, right? Yeah, vulnerable and, so, and different. Yeah, yeah, vulnerable and different, right. And yeah. so, you know, if it's if it's some gay guy who's saying, oh, my God, the, the guard is harassing me, who are they going to believe? They're yeah. going to say, oh, you probably asked for it or whatever to uh, the guy. They're no, nobody's going to take him seriously. So, 
Um, yeah, the high rate was so shocking. I had to check it three times to make sure we weren't making any mistakes, said the lead author of the study, Elon Meyer. We've received mixed reactions. Some people still don't believe it. However, there's no reason to suspect it or think it's an error. Looking at the 2011 to 2012 National Inmate Survey, Meyer's team found that the rate of incarceration for lesbian, gay, and bisexual people was 1,882 per 100,000, or more than three times the overall rate. The data went so far as to distinguish between sexual identity and behavior. Not everyone who has had a same-sex experience identifies as gay, Meyer wrote, and we were able to look at several measures. According to the Department of Justice, 12% of LGBT... 12% of LGBT inmates say they've been sexually victimized by another inmate, uh, compared to 1.2% of heterosexual prisoners. So that's a 10 times higher rate of getting sexually assaulted by another inmate. And 5% claim that they've been violated by staff, compared to 2.1% of straights. Mm. Sexual minorities were also more likely to experience solitary confinement and other sanctions and to report current psychological distress. Gay and bisexual women were sentenced to longer periods of time than straight women, while gay or bisexual men were more likely to be serving sentences longer than 10 years. Sexual minorities were more likely to be incarcerated for violent sexual and non-sexual crimes rather than crimes related to property, drugs, or parole violations. It's not just adults. A 2015 study of young people in seven juvenile detention facilities found that 20% identified as LGBT or gender nonconforming compared to the five compared to five to seven percent in the general population. Meyer says there needs to be more research into the causes of this discrepancy, which he says include everything from over-policing of sexual offenses by LGBT people to quote biases ingrained in our court system that lead to sexual minorities being handled in a different way. Also at work, LGBT people are much more likely to experience family rejection, homelessness, drug addiction, and other factors leading to criminality. So that's it. Yeah, I mean, it just raises the question exactly, you know, how much does social reinforcement, how much does, uh, you know, social reinforcement of norms and mores, uh, you know, how much does that affect... um, well, I mean, obviously it affects society at large. But how much like, does it affect the judges that are handing down the sentences? Sure. Yeah. How much does it inspire? Sure it biases some of them, yeah. Yeah. How much does it inspire, you know, so many factors that lead up to these numbers and statistics? And yeah. uh, I mean, to me, you know, to my mind, granted, I'm a bit of a radical or maybe a bit isn't strong enough, but, uh, you know, I, I, I get sick of mores and, you know, and norms and all this, because this mm-hmm. is one of my arguments is that it, it, it eventually leads to people, you know, going to jail. Maybe not because they broke the mori, because the mori might not be a law, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's just that just that that tension underneath that somewhere someone snaps or or, you know, the law is just dumb and they end up breaking it or they do it to be a rebel just to, you know, stand up against the, you know, fucking society that 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 treats them dead wrong. Uh, it's, it's a pity. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't say I'm really surprised by this because it fits with the idea of sort of structural oppression or structural inequality or whatever. Sure. Um, that, you know, minorities of all kinds are disproportionately victimized by the justice system, Mm -hmm. so-called justice system, and they're more likely to be victims of abuse as well. But I've just never heard it before. I've heard racial minorities. Yeah. I've definitely heard, you know, especially like young black Hispanic men 
are way more likely to be incarcerated than general population. Right. But I've never heard LGBT. Yeah, not not with sexual minorities. Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. I've, I've never really heard heard those sort of numbers. In fact, usually I think most people think that, you know, especially like with women, that I don't think they – when you think women, I don't think people instantly think, wow, you know, high prison rate or something. Mm. But, yeah. well – yeah. Yeah. It very interesting. Thank you, cognitive dissident, for the for the uh, tip. All right. Now we're going to get to something a little bit happier. Hopefully. Okay. All right. Because <laughs> we got some listener emails, and I think we're going to do rapid fire on these here, uh, just to go through because we have so many of them. Uh, the first one is titled in parentheses "Weaponized Menstrual Cups." Okay. <laughs> uh, hello to my favorite podcasters. I wanted to bring up something that Brian briefly mentioned on the last episode, and that is menstrual cups. Now, I will preface this by saying I'm a male, so I don't have much input as far as periods go. However, I do have a wife, and her, to her dismay, for a week a month, she has a uterus. Stephanie's talked about sea sponge tampons before, and I would also like to recommend menstrual cups. About a year ago, I came across the Diva Cup, and I mentioned it to my wife. She was excited and interested, so I bought her one on Amazon. She loved it since the very first time she used it, so now she no longer has to go out and get tampons or pads ever again. I know I can't ever know truly the annoyance it is to have a period, but she was happy that I was able to contribute to her untimely friend. I understand some women may think it's gross to have to take it out and clean it, but if they can get over the initial ick factor, I feel it can help tremendously. Now that we can now we can enjoy a soak in the hot tub or a swim while Aunt Flo comes to town. I thought of some of the yeah, I thought some of the listeners could benefit from this knowledge, so I thought I'd share it. Thanks so much for all your due. I wouldn't have found Bitcoin or the message of freedom if it wasn't for this show. I'm much indebted and love that I can help by shopping through Amazon. Much love. So thank you for the email. Wow, hell yeah. That's great. Bitcoin in uh that the L word. That's that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well he didn't say the L word, he said the message of freedom. Oh freedom. Sorry, right. he said the F word. Yeah, he said the F word. Ooh, that's a bad one. <laughs> well, that's great. That's yeah. So I have um actually used the Diva Cup, the same uh one that the listener said he got for his wife. Mm-hmm. And I liked it in that I didn't have to rely on pads or tampons. But the thing I didn't like about it was that it felt uncomfortable. It was, some women say that they need to try different sizes to get sort of the right fit because they do have different sizes depending on like if you've had kids or whatever, like basically the size of your cervix and vagina. And um, you have to kind of try some, try a few of them sometimes and they can be a little expensive if you're trying to get the right fit. Um, The reason I didn't like it was because honestly, I felt it was very uncomfortable because I would get, you know, cramps and pain, especially at the beginning of my period. And just taking this thing in and out of me was like kind of just too painful. Mm -hmm. And also it would, it would get like full of blood and it would form this kind of suction um, that that really hurt when I tried to pull it out. It would like suck down on my cervix and it was just way too sensitive and uncomfortable. I realized my body is not the same as everybody else's body. Maybe we should have like trigger warning this with like period stuff, but you know what? If you're listening to our show, I think you can handle it. Raw and uncensored. (laughs) I'm not ashamed. But anyway, yeah, I realize my body's not the same as everybody else's body. So your mileage may vary. I'm sure it's a great option for some people, but um, I didn't find that I felt any pain with those sea sponge tampons. That's why I recommended those. But then again, they don't have like the handle that hangs out and you, you know, that you can grab it by. Yeah. The other thing too was the handle on the, on the Diva Cup. They have this little tab that, that kind of 
it's almost like a tampon string, but it's made out of that same silicon that is that forms the rest of the cup. It's like pulling a parachute. Yeah, you just kind of pull the tab and it comes out. But that tab itself can be quite irritating because it's kind of sticking out the bottom of your vagina a little bit, just a little bit. And it can kind of poke you, even though it's made out of soft silicon. So, you know, I, I, felt, I found it uncomfortable. I preferred the sea sponges. But... Um, you know, some women just really love them. And yeah, you can go swimming and stuff and they're reusable. And all you have to do is just clean it out. And um, I mean, another thing, I won't lie, it's kind of cool to like see how much blood you collect. <laughs> like, I don't know, maybe that's just like the scientist in me. Is that weird? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. And I mean, you know, look, I know a lot of people don't like their periods, right? They They don't like getting periods. But I... I think you have to just kind of embrace it, right? Like, yeah, it can suck if it hurts or if you feel pain or you feel mood issues or whatever goes along with it. But I think, you know, maybe part of that is like how society looks at periods and views them as such a drag Mm -hmm. where they don't have to be viewed that way necessarily. It's really just a natural body function, right? Sure. I mean, like nobody obsessively talks about how horrible it is when you get like gas or diarrhea or something, but that happens to everybody too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it would probably make it worse if everybody focused on it so much, you know. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I I don't want to tell anybody how they should be experiencing their period or whatever. But thank you for the tip, listener. I think we're getting way too deep into this, like than he meant <laughs> us to get. Um, I'm sure it could help some some people out there. And if you do get a diva cup or sea sponge tampons or just any any supplies that you might need for your period or your friends' periods or whatever, um, go to stuff.sexandsciencehour.com and buy it through there. Yeah. As a listener did. And thank you very much for for doing that. <laughs> so cool. Are we uh, are we done with this email? Yeah, I think we're good. Okay, cool. So next one. Why don't religions exalt the glory of sex? Oh, shit. This is a good one. <laughs> so um, friends write in. This is some people I know in real life. Hi. Why do you think it is that most of the major religions do not celebrate or talk about sex? Why not hymns about the glories of sex? There doesn't seem to be <laughs> there doesn't seem to be the same amount of control over other basic human needs like exercise, eating and sleeping, just sex. Any thoughts? Brian, I'm going to I'm going to give this one to you first oh, first boy. crack because I know you are like our resident uh religious uh expert. Scholar. Have, You're a religious scholar. <laughs> I might have a doctorate of divinity, but I might have yes. paid 35 bucks for it. So anyway, <laughs> you know, you you did. You paid 35 bucks for your doctorate of divinity divinity from the Universal Life Church on the internet. But I will say that I think you are such a fount of biblical and religious knowledge that I think you you could earn a PhD in divinity at Harvard I Divinity School. That. That... I think you have enough knowledge to be able to do that. All right, so my DD is earned. No. Yeah, so according to me, it is. Yeah. I give you, I grant you those Thank credentials. You. So, Doctor Sovereign's in the house here. So, uh, no. so Doctor Sovereign, <laughs> yeah. Reverend Doctor Sovereign, why do you think it is that religions don't exalt the glory of sex? Well, now, this isn't true for every religion, but I think it's true for a lot of them, and it's certainly true for the ones that most people recognize. Uh, and there's actually, as a, as annoying as I find it to be, you know, because this is really what is, you know, a lot of, throughout this episode, we've talked about a lot of the terrible mores and norms around sexuality, and look where people end up, perhaps because of it, you know, perhaps. Uh, you know, so I don't support all this, but, you know, if you... 
two of the oldest religions that we have are Judaism and Zoroastrianism. And one could argue that actually Judaism came out of Zoroastrianism, but that's regardless, or, you know, that, that doesn't really matter, uh, because they're in, in, but where they both are important is that, and where one is thought to have copied the other is that their health laws, okay. Or like in Judaism, it's Kashrut laws or Levitical law. Uh, these health laws are, which you read in the first few books of say Torah or the Bible, whatever. Um, when you look at them with, with modern eyes, with a modern lens, you go, wait a second, this isn't some, this isn't God talking. This is a health code. And, you know, I, I remember Lewis Black, uh, the famous comedian, you know, saying, he said, look, he says, he says, you want to know the whole reason behind the Bible? He said, it's just to keep people from fucking camels. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. And, you know, a lot of these things where it seems like you look at a law, you know, you look at, a, or in Judaism, be a mitzvah, you look at a mitzvah and it, it's like, wait, wait, wait a second. You do that and you they, you need to be stoned to death. They need to kill you. Why would they do that? Why are they so harsh to foreigners? Wouldn't you want your population to grow, uh, you know, by bringing these people in? And once you, once you realize that, you know, when you look at it again with these modernized, you realize, you go, wait a second. No, they had to be that strict about sexual. Uh, they didn't have to be. But they saw it in their best interests. Mm -hmm. And who thought this up? I don't know. It sure as hell wasn't a god. Aliens. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't believe that for a second. But regardless, whoever thought this up, you know, these are really rules to allow, to allow a, by our standards, primitive culture uh, and, and, you know, primitive, I don't want to say race, but, you know, a primitive people survive mm. you know in a very in very harsh living conditions yeah in, where there were no antibiotics and no you know no medicine yeah i mean when somebody you know touched the wrong kind of animal or ate from it you know i'm not condoning doing this i'm just saying that i understand why they say you better stone that person or if they're practicing witchcraft or they're doing some other kind of wild stuff look the entire fate of the nation is is literally on the line you've got to kill that person you know, I mean, I'm not saying that that's or right. just make the punishment death so they never try it in the first place. Yeah, right, right. Or you know, <laughs> tell just, them God's going to kill them or something. Yeah, scare the pogies out of them. So, so okay, that makes a lot of sense for the Abrahamic religions and for the monotheistic, you know, sort of Judaism, sure. Christianity, Islam. But I think I would actually say that I think there are some religions throughout history and even modern religions that do celebrate sex. For example, I'm thinking of all what about the fertility rituals in, in all the pagan religions that came from, for example, like Greek, Roman mm -hmm. um, origins, where they had literally Saturnalia was a festival, a, a fertility rite. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Temple. You well, there's a, more than one of them per year, right? <laughs> sure. A lot of one every few months, basically. Sure. I mean, in pardon the term, you had you had temple horse. I mean, that like, <laughs> right. like that was just that was the name of the game, and those even crept into some of the Abrahamic religions. As but they well, were sacred. Times. They were, you know, like they were the keepers of the of the sacred space of the temple, and it was a place to have sex. And yeah, there were there have been a lot of religions like more the pagan type where sexuality is. I mean, there's fertility gods. Like, the, right. like these things are lots are, of fertility. You know, I mean, you have like in the greek religion or yeah in, in the greek mythology you know you have priapus walking around now you can recognize priapus <laughs> the giant anytime. boner yeah because he has he's just going around this gigantic dick uh -huh. you know and and so <laughs> i mean that's 
great. I mean, there's a whole story around that, but the bottom mm-hmm. line being is that they are not shying away um, from this sort of thing. And, you and that's see- where the name priapism comes from, which which is when you take Viagra and you get a boner that lasts for more than four hours and you should go to the emergency room. <laughs> uh, all right. No comment. Yeah. So, <laughs> but- well, so I think there's it's more than just um, Western religions, Greek and Roman origin. Um, what about the Kama Sutra? You know, oh, sure. in Hindu yeah. religion, right? Yeah, or even, you know, the Tao Te Ching. I mean, like, there's mm-hmm. a lot in that. That Well, I mean, sexuality gets complex in some of your, your far Eastern religions, where it's not really shunned, but then they have these odd ideas of control, that you should only, like, ejaculate every month. Uh, oh, like that's right, because it causes you to lose your power. Well, Dave Asprey thinks that now, so, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, so, of course, it's true. Uh, but... <laughs> Now, so, and, and I, when I hear that sort of thing, I mean, that just, that stands against, you know, what we understand of biology. You do you know, think that's ju- literally just completely dead wrong or do you think there's something to it? Uh, I, I think it's, it's personally, I think it's dead wrong. And the reason mm-hmm. I'll say that is because, so you have in, in Eastern religions, you kind of have these big, what they call, or what I call zoo characters, mm-hmm. not zoo, Z-O-O, but T-Z-U. Right. Or T-S-U. Lao and... Lao Tzu, uh, uh, Yeah. I mean, you, you have, you know, Sun Tzu. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a bunch of them. It, really, there's a big three. There's Lao Tzu, Sun Tzu, and the one that most people forget is Mosu. Mm. Okay. There's also a Sav Tzu, but... That's another character. That's you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but Mozu, what writings we have left from Mozu stand in absolute contrast. And this was an incredibly advanced philosophy. I mean, it really, really was. And Mozu was actually a, a brilliant scientist. You know, we're talking hundreds of years ago. Um, and Mozu did not stand for this sort of, I mean, like, not that he was, you know, a hedonist or anything, um, but he was certainly far different in interpretation than, say, what Lao Tzu was, was proposing, where, no, nah, you only ejaculate like once a month. You need to hold this shit in. As for Mozu, is like, no, he, just do it. You know, get, oh, get, I didn't get know there was there. that disagreement. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a reason Mosu's writings aren't here anymore because somebody didn't like, you know, or at least why a lot of them aren't here anymore, because somebody didn't like what he had to say. And he was just a brilliant like him all over the place. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, he might have invented the first porn. People don't even realize this because... He invented Gizmodo, actually. He was yeah. the original founder of Gizmodo. <laughs> but, but I won't... And porn, I mean, as in like, like something being performed and other people were watching within Ooh, yeah. some kind of a theater. Yeah. But that's neither, neither here nor there. Um, so, yeah, I, I think... In most religions that we think of, the reason why they are not celebrated is because these religions are based upon laws from a time where, you know, for whatever reason, it seemed like you had to threaten people with hell or death um, because Jews don't have a concept of, of hell, really. Not mm-hmm. not not like Christians do um, to to get them to take it seriously so that they could carry on for what purpose they needed to carry on for what purpose that that nation had mm-hmm. to be taken so seriously. You know, a lot of the, those are whole other questions. Um, I but, think you can find religions, modern religions that in, exalt the glory of sex in the modern, like neo-pagan religions. Yep. And so just you find yourself a community of American witches and have at it. They'll be doing rituals, naked, sky clad. And they'll be, you know, I guarantee people be fucking. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and certainly, you know, I think it's interesting to point out, too, that in the 60s, um, I think that there were a lot of religions, some of them even claiming to be Bible based, that were very much about having sex. Like, 
they, I mean, you like know, cults yeah, or well, pretty much okay. like cults that, you know, became very pro sex and, uh, I I'd love to, to name names, but, but that's not really a religion. That's like a sex cult. Isn't yeah. It? It's, it's more of that, but I mean, the, you know, they're claiming to be the original truth, but it's interesting that once you, you know, they would like espouse a lot of these ideas that have been around forever, you know, within various religions. And then suddenly they just add sex to it. And people are like, Oh, this is the new truth because you know, nobody ever espoused sex. You know what I mean? So, so I understand, you know, with the emailer, like, like saying, you know, why isn't this like celebrated when it really should be? And yeah, no, uh, Yep, I agree. It should be. All right. Well, we're on the same page about that. Final story here. Um, <laughs> this is hilarious. So this is an article. And, um, you know, maybe this is goes in line with um, this is a good segue because it goes in line with uh, appreciating the glory of sex. This is from the Edmonton Sun dot com. Should we be taking masturbation breaks at work? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I think you'll find no disagreement there, but but this is funny. So masturbation breaks should become a new workplace trend, according to a new report. Taking a few minutes to de-stress and relieve tension while on the job could actually boost productivity and make employees happier, psychology profession, professor Mark Sargent of Nottingham Trent University told Metro UK. Dr. Cliff Arnall, a psychologist and life coach, agreed with that assessment. I would expect a masturbation policy to result in more focus, less aggression, higher productivity, and more smiling, Dr. Arnall told Metro UK. Certainly taking a masturbation break for boredom or an escape would increase work focus. The topic of work masturbation breaks came up in the wake of a survey by GuyFi described as a masturbation booth pop-up that found that 40% of workers in New York already take such breaks while clocked in. I did in New York. Earlier, do you remember we talked, I think on the show, about those phone booths that they were, there was like a porn company that was going to oh, put up yeah. these phone booths that you could go in and jerk off like with on the laptops street? laptops. Or they were and... refurbishing phone booths with laptops. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that whatever came of that. That might have been Sovereign Tech, I think, when we talked about that. Oh, yeah, it might have been. Oh, man. Yeah. Nice pun. (laughs) Earlier polls by Time Out New York and Glamour, respectively, discovered that 39% of men said that they masturbated at work, consistent with the other 40% figure, while, this is surprising, 31% of women made time for some self-love at work. Damn right. Good. An article by Ravishly started stated that workplace masturbation, quote, is the new smoke break <laughs> and called it the go- a good way to boost output and creativity. Now, can you imagine, of course, this is a Canadian periodical, because can you imagine in America, like it, everybody does it, 40% of guys, 30% of women do it already, right? But could you imagine corporate culture get wrapping itself around this trend? No fucking way. Well, I'll tell you. They deny it, deny, deny. (laughs) Yeah, they'll deny, but they do it. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I mean, they're all for productivity until it gets sexual. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, I I don't want to spend long on on this part, Um, but it's funny that, you know, kind of those Eastern religions we were talking about, like Lao Tzu saying, you know, only do it once a month and all that. That's kind of their claim is that you actually, is that you lose energy when you do it that often. I could not disagree more. Mm. I mean, it's one of the first things that tipped me off to the Tao Te Ching. It's like, no, this is bullshit. Uh, because I agree with what this is saying. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, jerk off fucking three times a day at work. Now, I'm in the 30% because I do this sometimes. Sure. But 
I like when I'm really busy and I have a lot on my plate. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I work at home, okay, and yeah, I'm yeah. the only one in my office, <laughs> so <Right. laughs> it's perfectly appropriate for me to do this whenever the fuck I feel like it. Um, I only ever do it once a day, but mm-hmm. I don't even do it as often as once a day. I would say maybe I will do this like once every month or few weeks. Yeah. Um, it's not that often. Um, but when I do, I find that I can go, like, I do it when I'm bored and I'm like, oh, I don't want to start this next project yet. I think I'll just take a quick break and rub one out. And then I go back to work and I'm like, yes, I'm ready to do the next one. Yeah, damn right. <laughs> and I get refreshed. So maybe I should do it more often. Maybe I should, like, schedule them in or something. I wholly support this. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it, it can be a good idea to just take a break in general, like whether you're getting a drink or a snack or get, having a little... Uh, having a little self-love <laughs> or having a little love with somebody else. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing, too. You did, you know, it doesn't have to be self-love. I mean, if you're at a workplace and, you know, there's people that, well. Okay. <laughs> now, that gets a little bit weird, obviously, um, because can. there's a potential for sexual harassment and people feel uncomfortable. But if you're working at home with your romantic partner right there, why the hell not? Right. <laughs> Gee, you should do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we do once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, I, I, I think this is interesting that they're kind of couching it in terms of like, how can we boost corporate productivity? Let's have a brainstorming mes- session, very pr- professional. And, and then it's like, oh, I know, let people masturbate. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of just amazing to hear people admit it, because I think this already goes on all the time. Um, I mean, there's there's so many yeah. reasons why. Now tell me about when you've masturbated at work. Have you done it? Have you done oh, this? Fuck yeah. Okay, tell me about masturbated it. How, how did you or, pull it off? Or stooped. I mean, it was uh, like. Was it only on the weekends? Like you were working in an office. Yeah. So how did you do it? Like, right, give me the so, dirty details. Sure. So like kind of, you know, I'll tell you how it sort of started. Not that I needed this, but I just like I thought it was so cool that I did it. Um, the iPod Classic. If everybody remembers the iPod Classic. And when the iPod finally got video, it, oh. uh, yeah, um, like I would just, okay, I'll convert down these, you know, this, this porn into, uh, you know, to where like, you know, 320 by 240 or oh, whatever. Oh, you'd bring porn to work. Okay. Where, well, I'd bring my iPod to work <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'd have it on there. It's like, you know what? I could watch porn on this thing and nobody would know the wiser. And so I would go into the, you know, into the stall. Uh-huh. Like it wasn't like a, like a private bathroom. Oh, you just act like you're taking a shit, but. Yeah, but instead you're, you're standing, but, (laughs) and, you know, kind of the thing is though, is that, you know, when somebody else, because we're talking about like a multi-stall bathroom, right? Yeah. When somebody else comes in. Oh God, that's awkward. You can't be making that sound, you know, and and also. You mean the like. Yeah, that sound. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people are going to notice, especially if they get in the stall next to you. You know, like at where at the one place I'm thinking of where I worked, you know, there's only like a two stall. It's multi stall, but it's only two. And so some, you know, somebody else comes in, they're going to go. Oh, right that's there. super awkward. Then. Yeah. yeah. And the other issue is, too, it's like, wait a minute. Why is this guy standing up in the stall? You know, like, right. you can see the person. Obviously, feet and they're you're not like facing the wrong. Right. And so, yeah, because you'd hear that. So what are they doing? Yeah. And so like, so what I'd have to do is sometimes, you know, if somebody comes in, I have to, you know, real quick, like sit down. <laughs> You know, and then just wait. And, and, and it gets really awkward when, really awkward, when the other person, like, 
is probably really taking a really good shit. Or maybe they're there to do the same thing because like- And they're it, just pretending to take a right, shit. They're faking you out. Right. And there's this waiting game where you could be there for five, 10 minutes, you know? And, and it's like, is this guy, you know, all right, wait, so who, one of you, who's going to leave? It's like a game of chicken. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and there were times I know where I might've been in the bathroom for a goddamn hour because it's like, you know, you're just waiting and then like, oh, somebody's coming and you don't want to just walk out of there, you know, with with a boner or anything, you know right. what I mean? I mean, because you can't really hide that. And it, it, it's- well, at least I, well, yeah. Yeah, so you're between a rock and a hard place. What do you do? Very, doing? yeah, well. Very literally. Not in between. I mean, it's, 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 it's right both. in your hand. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, like I would do that. Now, if I could get into a private stall, obviously it wouldn't be that much of an issue, but then, you know, you're waiting for somebody to come knock on the door. And if somebody knocks on the door while you're, you know, while you're whacking it, it, <laughs> It just, it, it, it kills everything. It kills the fantasy in your head, or it can even interrupt the porn that you're watching on your iPod classic. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and it could just be a, a real problem. So if you have the opportunity <laughs> <laughs> to maybe without sexually harassing, you know, but to have like a consensual perhaps partnership or something, <laughs> that's definitely a lot better, you know, to, to, to go about than, than, you know, having to deal with somebody walking in while you're, you know, yeah, uh, yeah while you're jerking off. Cool. Well, cool story, bro. Um, I was trying to think if I've ever masturbated at work. I have, I can remember one time that I did. And it was because I was, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I was, let's just say I was in an academic setting and I've worked at, at several. So it could have been any of those that I've worked at. So right. it's not necessarily um, any place that you might be thinking of. But um, I was there on the weekend one day. And I was bored out of my mind. I was waiting for an experiment to finish. And I was like, oh, my God, just kill me. Like, this is so boring. Sometimes when you do those experiments, you got to wait, you know, yeah. like a couple hours for something to incubate or whatever. So I was waiting and I was bored. And I was like, oh, my God, this is dragging so bad. Went to the bathroom. Nobody was in there. I was completely alone. Um, it was one of those single stall bathrooms. Okay. Locked myself in and uh, rubbed one out. And then I felt better. See, it works. It's a wonderful it thing. It works. And I also used to, there was a gym that I used to go to. Um, sometimes in the morning when I was taking a shower after my workout, I'd be like, God damn, I'm so sexy. I just have to do this right now. <laughs> and I would do it in the shower while nice. I was in the shower at the gym. And it was like, you know, it was my own stall. So it wasn't oh, like creeping anybody okay. out. I so say. I did it very quietly and stealthily in all those situations. Sound like a scene from Porky's there for you know, a second. If you're going to be a perv, you got to do it on the low. You, know, yeah. you got you <laughs> to keep it a little bit quiet. So anyway, <laughs> there's our way more than you wanted to know about Brian and Stephanie yeah. at work. <laughs> There's more coming up here on Sex and Science Hour on the After Show. If you're leaving us now, thanks for joining us. SexandScienceHour.com. See you next week. Woo. You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week. Voguing during the during yeah. the break there. Um, 
<laughs> Thank you so much to everybody who makes our after show possible and contributes content by shopping through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com because y'all are a bunch of great shoppers. And I've pervs. Learned, I, and pervs, yeah. And, that's, <laughs> and we mean that in the best possible sense. Um, but I learn a lot from the stuff that people buy through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com every week. Yeah. And um, it's going to be a great book section this week because we, we had a lot of oh. books and we got some great books to talk about. Always so, my favorite. So we're going to jump in. But in case you don't know, we make our after show based on our Amazon affiliate link, which is at stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. And uh, we can see what people bought through that link. We can't see who bought it, but we can see what was purchased. And so we click on the stuff and investigate it and talk about it and speculate about it. And it often comes out to be a rip-roaring good time. Rip-roaring. Because it's different every week and it's new content and it's kind of part of the show. So why not listen? People love it. <laughs> cool. Okay. So in the automotive department. Stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Yes, thank you. So what did people buy at stuff.sexandsciencehour.com this week? So starting in the auto department, we had um, a, a door handle for a 99 to 06 Chevy Silverado. 99 to oh okay like it, it fits cool. chevy yep. silverado's from made from 99 to 06 it's just one of those sliding door handles that you know like almost like in a van where you would open it up yeah like nice. where you'd pull the door handle and open it up like in the door the van door slides open like yep good yeah. to have a truck yep <laughs> um we had a a fan motor copeland corporation old fan motor I don't, generic replacement, non-refundable. I don't know what exactly this is for, but the person who bought it knows. So I'm not, I'm not equipped to speculate on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had a license plate frame. Oh, who, oh, who, Matt, aluminum license plate frame with screw caps by oh, who, who, now that's funny it's just like a plain black license plate frame that's good it doesn't have anything special about it 11.99 price point so you know sometimes you need that shit maybe somebody got into like a little bender fender bender there they needed to replace some stuff um and then we had a universal front bumper license plate bracket with a a screw and wrench kit nice yep pretty cool you know those essentials you need for your car yeah we're into the books department now College Writing Skills, 7th Edition, Our College Student Strikes Again, <laughs> by, uh, by John Langan. The 7th edition of John Langan's College Writing Skills focuses on the essay, using Langan's renowned clear writing style, as well as his wide range of... Oh, wait, I should read this in like a hoity Harvard voice, like, as well as his wide range of writing assignments and activities that <laughs> reinforce the four bases of effective writing. Unity, support, coherence, and sentence skills. Very important. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It probably is one of those books that you had to buy for college. Yeah. Like, you know what I never got? Like, there were these these tests, like the MCAT, which is the test that you take to get into medical school, which I took. Um, you had to write an essay as part of it. And I think they've since done away with the essay. But when I took it, you had to write an essay. And you got graded on a rubric like for the essay, but it, it's an essay. It's like, how do you write about the thing? And I remember I had such trouble because I got, I was, you know, I was still a freedom lover. I maybe identified as some flavor of anarchist back then, which I still do. And um, I got a question like, the essay question I got was something like, how do you, how do you balance, how do lawmakers balance the needs of their constituents with the needs of like special interests or something like that? And so it was asking me to write about the political system. I'm like, what do, uh, what do I fucking do with this? You know, like, 
Yeah. So um, I feel like it's like a formulaic thing like that. Like, yeah, maybe there's elements of a good persuasive essay, but it's like that's a skill that I don't know how useful it is in the in the real world. Yeah. It's it's useful to know how to write persuasively. And maybe the essay is like an example of that. And you could tra- extrapolate that to other types of writing. But I don't know. I just don't really see a huge amount of uh, value in it. But I'm guessing the person bought it because of college and because they had to. So yep. <laughs> anyway, good luck with your college experience. <laughs> uh, the, here's an interesting one. Experiencing the World's Religions, Tradition, Challenge and Change, 5th edition by Michael Malloy. Experiencing the world's religions provides a clear and compelling account of the world's major religious traditions. With an engaging narrative and powerful photographs from around the globe, the text conveys the vitality and richness of the world's religions. It views religion as a living cultural wellspring that not only concerns systems of belief, but how those beliefs are expressed in ceremonies, food, clothing, art, architecture, pilgrimage, scripture, and music. Sounds interesting, huh? Yeah. But you you could have written that book, Brian. You know all Thank about you. religion. Here's another interesting one. Inner Harmony, Putting Yourself Back in Charge, Based on the Internal Family Systems Model of Healing by Beth Rogerson, PhD. Ah, this is a book about IFS, IFS therapy, which I, so IFS, um, Internal Family Systems Therapy, is basically a therapy, a therapeutic modality that um, uses parts of ourselves to explain why we do certain behaviors, why we feel certain feelings, and uses, you know, I guess a a method of empathizing with those parts mm-hmm. as a as a way to integrate them into your whole self. Yes. Um, and I guess some of the criticisms of IFS maybe are that like you can kind of get bogged down in like figuring out all these parts of yourself and well, it can feel like this jumbled mess of just discombobulated parts. But I think there's a lot of really useful stuff in there at the same time of like, you know, a lot of people have these like problem solvers, like the firefighter that like responds to a crisis and like drives your behavior and unless you listen to those parts and sort of empathize with those parts of yourself, they will drive your behavior unconsciously. And so the idea is to not let them do that by, sure. by actually acknowledging them and listening to them. Yeah. Were you going to say something? Oh, no. Frank was going to say something. But Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, I was that was Sally talking anyway, so. <laughs> right. That's the part. Yeah. Frank's a part. Yeah. Sally's a part of you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you're you're expressing the criticism of it, which yeah. is like, okay, who are you actually talking to? Here? Yeah, exactly. So here's the description. If you're tired of getting hijacked by your emotions or you want to improve your relationships with yourself and those around you, this is the book for you. The Internal Family Systems Approach to Self-Coaching will teach you the skills and mindfulness techniques you need to return to internal balance and harmony. So, yeah, I think that's useful. And it was only nine bucks for that book. Mm, okay. Oh, here's a cool one. Medical abbreviations and acronyms. Quick study academics. So this is like kind of a list of uh, almost like a flashcard of like medical abbreviations. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. It's maybe like a reference text, like something if you did like medical billing or something, you would probably have this on your desk and like refer to it. Yeah. Uh, Medical math, quick study academic. And this is like another one of those worksheets, like cards that just it shows calculations of like, you know, um, one gram equals something, how many milligrams or whatever. Um, you know, it's just things like that. It's like conversions, basically. Basically, um, nonviolent communication, a language of life. Yay! Is this the third edition again? I still have to check that out. This is this is the two thousand three edition. So this is probably oh. the second edition, I guess. First or second? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, and we've talked about this book multiple times on the show, but nonviolent communication is a, a way of communication relating with yourself and others that focuses on connecting with people over basic human needs that we all have and realizing that feelings, feeling certain feelings comes from the needs that we all have and mm-hmm. whether they're met or not met. And that you can always hear the needs behind what someone is saying, even if they're like yelling and screaming at you. Yeah. <laughs> you can see, you can still relate to them and, uh, and get where they're coming from, even if you don't agree with them necessarily, because we all have those same needs and we can all relate about those. So, um, yeah, I think this is a great book. I'd love to hear a book review if anybody wants to give it. There's yeah. also an audio book that Marshall Rosenberg read himself. He's passed away since then, but he did do a great author-narrated audio book, one of my favorite ones, and um, it's totally worth uh, listening to. I gave... I gave that audiobook to my dad and he listened to it like four times. <laughs> yeah. It was really I was really impressed by that. I thought that was really cool. So um anyway, yeah, um, nonviolent communication, a language of life. Uh next book is the PTCB Exam Study Guide, Essencia's Test Prep Book. Uh, for the Pharmacy Technician Certification Board exam. Oh, now we know why there's all these college books. Yeah. Pharmacy Technician. Okay. So, yeah, somebody's in school for that. Um, this is a, a test prep book. You know, when I quit medical school, I thought about writing test prep materials because that's what a lot of people do who quit, who drop out of medical lucrative. school. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how lucrative it is because they were like, you know, I looked into some of the things that were hiring like MCAT tutors and like even tutors for the USMLE, which is the medical board exam for medical students themselves and um they weren't paying that much honestly so i mm. guess those jobs are not that competitive or are are competitive because um they weren't paying super awesome rates that you would need to like for example pay off medical school debt <laughs> yeah. that you may have accrued to get those skills in the first place it's all rigged system i'm telling you um <laughs> i make more money as a voice actor so um Problem-solving workbook with selected solutions for chemistry, Adams First. This is like a chemistry workbook with problem-solving. Study guide to accompany microeconomics, 17th edition, by Campbell McConnell and Stanley Bruce. So someone's taking chemistry, microeconomics, writing, religion, all this stuff. Got (laughs) a regular Tesla on her hands Yeah. Must be doing a wide... Or maybe we have like more than one college student, I'm guessing, or a student in general. Uh, Taylor Swift 2017 Square Multilingual Edition. It's a calendar. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, so nice. it's a ta- Taylor Swift calendar. That's cute. Yeah. What do you think? Um, I've heard those rumors about Taylor Swift having like a lesbian girlfriend. Yeah. So right on Instagram, think- like she seems to only take pictures with, or like she has like this best friend. Yeah. Right. They're constantly... best friends. That's right. Yeah. And there's times <laughs> where it gets a little. Uh huh. It gets a little bit more than friendly. Which I, I mean, mean, by if all that's means, that's true. Good for her. Yeah. yeah. Please, you know, those kind of relationships are so awesome. And like especially women to best friends, but they also like to sit on each other's faces. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and and a lot of her songs, especially a lot of her big songs, are all about how men hurt her, or mm. you know, how boys have hurt her, or something mm. like that. Or at least that's my understanding. I don't listen a to her a experience. lot, but like yeah. it, it would make sense that she's just like putting everything you know just being very in your face about it and then there she is being kind of coy on on instagram about her true feelings yeah she has she has themes in some of her videos too where there's like a brute like she's blonde and then there's Mm -hmm. a brunette girl that like steals her boyfriend or something Mm -hmm. there's like a girl that her is like her enemy 
So no? I don't know yeah. what that has to do with anything. Here's one. The Desktop Regulatory State, The Countervailing Power of Individuals and Networks by Kevin A. Carson. Oh, man. Yeah, that's cool. I haven't read that book yet. No, I don't think I've read it's that. It's new. It's March 4th, 2016 was published. Oh, I got to look this up now. Yeah. Shit. Here, How did I not know Carson came out with a new book? I don't know, but now we know. So now we can get it. Oh. Here's a description. Defenders of the modern state often claim that it's needed to protect us from terrorists, invaders, bullies, and rapacious corporations. Economist John Kenneth Galbraith, for instance, famously argued that the state was a source of, quote, countervailing power that kept other social institutions in check. But what if those countervailing institutions, corporations, government agencies, and domesticated labor unions, in practice, collude more than they countervail each other? And what if network communications technology and digital platforms now enable us to take on all those dinosaur hierarchies as equals and more than equals? In the desktop regulatory state, Kevin Carson shows how the power of self-regulation, which people engaged in social cooperation have always possessed, have been amplified and intensified by changes in consciousness as people have become aware of their own power and of their ability to care for themselves without the state and in technology, especially information technology, drawing on an unusual... Drawing, as usual, on a wide array of insights from diverse disciplines, Carson paints an inspiring, challenging, and optimistic portrait of human future without the state and points proactively towards the steps we need to take in order to achieve it. Now, I bet you can get this on paperback on Amazon, but I'm willing to bet if you checked out his website, he probably gives a gives a PDF away. He does with his other books. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Carson, I am such a fan. Like, yeah, he's I'm cool. a serious fanboy. Uh, he used to listen to my my pork therapy show and tweet it like all the time. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm, he's I lost touch with him, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's just got such brilliant, unique stuff. You know, like him, him and uh, good old Long Rod. Uh, Roger T. Long. I mean, <laughs> yes. just just brilliant. I could read their shit all day. All right, cool. Well, that's on my reading list now. Yeah, that sounds it's on like mine a cool too. book. Uh, thanks for thanks for the heads up. Whoever bought that. Next, we have the Digital Plague by Jeff Summers. Avery Cates is a very rich man. He's probably the richest criminal in New York City. But right now, Avery Cates is pissed because everyone around him has just started to die in a particularly gruesome way. With every moment bringing the human race closer to extinction, Cates finds himself in the role of both executioner and savior of the entire world. It's called the Digital Plague. That sounds interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, here's here's another one of my favorite books. When people ask me, like, what books influenced your philosophy, this is one of those books. The Ethical Slut, A Guide to Infinite Sexual Possibilities by Dossie Easton and Catherine A. List. Absolutely. I thought uh, it was Dossie Easton and Janet Hardy, but maybe that's Janet Hardy's This is probably an pseudonym. updated version. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Something like that. So The Ethical Slut is a book about polyamory. And now, don't immediately tune it out because you're like, oh, I'm not polyamorous. Well, maybe you're not. But if you read this book... It doesn't mean you have to be polyamorous, first of all. Right. And second of all, it will inform your perspective in ways that will enrich even monogamous relationships, or even if you're single. Like, it just gives you such great perspectives on relationships, on jealousy, on non-ownership of people, mm-hmm. you know, on like give, just really letting it sink in and having that attitude, deconstructing some of those cultural messages that we get that tell us that we own and possess our partners, and it really goes goes a long way to deconstruct those myths. Yeah, absolutely. Great book. It will make you better at relationships no matter what your relationship style, monogamous, polyamorous, single, whatever. Um, here's a summary. At, lo- at last, a comprehensive no-holds-barred guide for anyone who dreams of having all the sex and love and friendship they want. 
Here are the skills you need for successful and ethical sluthood, from scheduling dates to handling jealousy, finding partners to resolving conflicts, raising children to caring for your health. If you've ever envisioned a universe beyond traditional lifelong monogamy, this is the book for you. And it's it's great. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Same here. Let us know what you think. Um, oh, cool. This is another nonviolent communication book by Marshall Rosenberg. The Heart of Social Change, How to Make a Difference in Your World. I never knew about this book. This the is Heart from, of Social Change? Yeah, The Heart of Social Change, How to Make a Difference in Your World. Nonviolent. It's a nonviolent communication guide. This is from 2004. Um, and now Marshall Rosenberg, like he grew up in Detroit during these like racial, ri- racially charged riots, right? In the 1950s. Uh, 60s, 60s, right? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so he was like interested in, in stuff like this, civil rights movement and social change. Sure. The tenets, here's this uh, summary. The tenets of nonviolent communication are applied to a variety of settings, including the classroom and the home in these booklets on how to resolve conflict peacefully. Illustrative exercises, sample stories, and role-playing activities offer the opportunity for self-evaluation, discovery, and application. The insightful perspective on effective social change is illustrated with how-to examples. So cool. This is on my reading list now, too. Yeah, this is interesting. So I was just looking into this quick. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a, outside of the main nonviolent communication book, which somebody already purchased, the one I always recommend, and it's kind of a Kindle, well, I mean, you can get a paperback edition on Amazon, but it's kind of Amazon exclusive, is it's called uh, Living Nonviolent Communication. Mm. And it's actually like four or five or like six books into one. In fact, it's one of my, one of my favorite books is a part of that compilation. And it's only like The Surprising Purpose of Anger? Yeah, Surprising Purpose of Anger. That that just won me right over. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Like those are really that that compilation and then the main nonviolent communication book are like that's that's my you know work that's as far as I've really ever read uh, because that living nonviolent communication does such a great job of covering so much ground. Um, in fact, it even gets into you know maybe the not so helpful parts of nonviolent communication, the more woo woo, uh, you know <laughs> benevolent divine energy, the BDE. Oh, <laughs> um, but that's at the end of the book, so it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Yeah, interestingly, like I was just looking on Amazon here quick, and and it says that Heart of Social Change is the one book that they wish was in uh, Living Nonviolent Communication. So I'm gonna have to get my hands on this. Oh wow, I'm, yeah, I'm intrigued. That's like an extra one. That's sure. cool. That's like the 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 single that's not on your favorite album. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what that's like. Yeah. yeah. All right, the sovereign individual mastering the transition to the information age by James Dale Davidson and William Rees Mogg. Well, Do you know this book? No, I don't. Sounds great. Cool. Oh, it looks Just like the title. It looks like non. Yeah, it does. Um, it looks like nonfiction. Two renowned investment advisors and authors of the bestseller Great Reckoning, The Great Reckoning, bring light to both sides of both. Sorry, bring light. No, bring to light. Fuck. <laughs> bring to. I'm just going to roll with that. Bring to light both currents of disaster and the potential for prosperity and renewal in the face of radical changes in human history as we move into the next century. The sovereign individual details strategies necessary for ad- adapting financially to the next phase of Western civilization. I'm interested in what that is. Book yeah. review. I don't know what Western civilization is, but okay. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure that one out, too. Um, And here's another money book, The Total Money Makeover, A Proven Plan for Financial Fitness by Dave Ramsey. And Dave Ramsey is like a famous radio host. Very famous. He does a famous money show. Um, I like, I've never listened to his show, but I like Money Girl, Laura Adams. 
Mm-hmm. She has a Money Girl podcast. I like her podcast a lot. So I'm sure Dave Ramsey's is good, too. But I mean, yeah, like you need to get that financial education. Um, it's very empowering to get that because like, yeah. you don't get taught about money when you're growing up. Nobody fucking teaches you about that unless Not you really. have rich parents. And so they don't always teach you about it. No, either. they don't. Yeah. <laughs> the success stories speak for themselves in this book from money maestro Dave Ramsey. Instead of promising the normal dose of quick fixes, Ramsey offers a bold, no-nonsense approach to money matters, providing not only the know-how, but also a grounded and uplifting hope for getting out of debt and achieving total financial health. That's that's an important, often neglected area of health, financial health. Okay, cool. So that's it for the books department. Very great selection this week. Yeah, I've absolutely. got a few additions to my reading list, a few books I've already read, yeah. a few books I didn't even know existed until now. <laughs> <laughs> In the cell phones and accessories department, we had the Straight Card Nano SIM card for iPhone 5. So, oh, sorry, Straight Talk Nano SIM card. So um, Straight Talk is Walmart's cell phone plan. Right. Yes. You have Straight Talk, don't you? Yeah, I use Straight Talk. Yeah. Uh, it uses either Verizon's or uh, AT&T's lines, as mm-hmm. I call them, but towers. And so what, you have to buy a SIM card that you can put into your phone? Yeah, because you can buy unlocked phones, which is what I do. Um, right. And then they will send you a SIM card, you know, a micro or a nano SIM card, and mm-hmm. you can just put that in and away you go. Cool. Yeah. And the, the SIM card itself was only $4.35. So that's, that's really very cheap. It's awesome. Straight Talk is a very economical, budget-friendly way, speaking of financial health, you know, to have a monthly cell phone plan. 45 bucks a month, five gig of uh, of data and unlimited And how much know, was your unlocked text. phone? 200 bucks. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the one I have right now is like 200 bucks, which that was a fucking steal, but Yeah, yeah. So Zenfone so you, Zoom if anybody's looking for one. They're, they're it's just a great phone. Yeah, that's a great tip. Yeah. Uh, stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really it's a high-end phone. It just, you know, it's like a year old, so the price dropped significantly. Somebody got a three-pack of styluses like for a, you know, for a tablet I guess that you can write on. Um, and it has extra tips and there's, there are pen shaped styluses in red, silver, and black. Red nice. and black. I don't know. Hey, ooh. <laughs> are they my <laughs> territory? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. In the grocery department, we had a five pound bulk pack of pure maple sugar. That looks cool. Yeah. So now it, it, maple sugar, I wonder, of course it tastes like maple, right? What, a, what would be the point otherwise? But can you like make it make it into maple syrup? The best secret it says the secret to making our fine sugar is in made in small batches by hand using only the highest quality syrup. Oh, so I guess it's maple syrup, but it's like dried down to make maple sugar. Oh, I guess that makes sense because have you ever had a, a thing of like real maple syrup and then around the top of it it forms like crystals? Yes. Yeah that that must be like a five pound thing of of those. Nah. Okay. But it was fifty bucks for five pounds, so it's, this shit's not cheap. Wow. So I hope it's good. I'm sure it's great. <laughs> Happy baking. <laughs> um, in the uh, personal care department, we had Energizer Ultimate Lithium Batteries to count. Uh, nine volt batteries. I don't know why that would be in personal care unless they're for your vibrator, but maybe we'll never know. Hmm, okay. Um, oh, actually, I think it is for a vibrator because we have the Voberry waterproof wireless remote control massager egg vibrator in black. Remote control. <laughs> and is it was it only wired? five dollars. This is a fucking steal. Wow. Wow, you really can have it all for five dollars. Yeah. I'm going to have to get one of these. You know, it might be good to have this, actually. I I think any sex toy is good to have. $5? That's a steal. I can't even get over it. It's made out of silica gel. It's waterproof 
remote controlled, and it's a battery operated. Five bucks. I can't hey. believe that. All right. And then somebody also bought a pack of um, lithium like coin batteries, CR 1616, mm-hmm. five pack of those. So, wow. Happy buzzing. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Uh, in the industrial and scientific category, we had a Panasonic power relay, fourteen ninety five price point, and we had Zyke bearings. These are like ball bearing, ball bearings, deep groove ball bearings. Okay, that's cool. Something's rotating around um, for your sex monkey swing thing. <laughs> <laughs> In the jewelry department, we had a um, uh, hinged septum clicker ring. So this is like a ring that you just it's like a circle but it kind of like opens up and then you snap it together with Mm -hmm. a disappearing click closure so we had a 14 to 16 gauge and then we had a 316 l this is uh probably our corporate sponsor you think i'm guessing it's a it's a piece of jewel it's like for a nose ring yeah oh Oh, never mind. This is like I a nose ring kind of for like your clamp. septum. Oh, 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 oh. Septum is is the thing in between I, your nostrils. I think nostrils. I heard septic. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind me. Okay. Don't mind well, me. Well, it is getting kind of late at night. Yeah. But yeah. No, this is a piece of jewelry for your septum. So okay. yeah. So there's one. Good bo- on you. <laughs> okay. Bo- both 14 gauge. One was black. One was blue. So yeah, they look pretty cool. Who has a pierced septum that we know? I, I don't know. I don't know. We have a lovely audience. We I do. know that. Beautiful piercings and tats. and Yes. Or beautiful just as they are without any piercings and tats. Damn right. Oh, this is one of my favorite things. I think I could probably stand to get one of these. This is an electric um, glass tea kettle. 1.7 liters. Um, what? I was just yawning. Oh, sorry. sorry. I thought you were making a motion like you were sucking a dick in your mouth and like jerking it <laughs> off into your mouth. I was like, what are you doing? Like, you think this is a waste of time or no, something? No, I know. <laughs> no, no, no. It's just one thirty. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, Brian. it's okay. It's okay. It's we're okay. almost done. We're almost right. done. It's we got to get to the rest of our yes, stuff. Yes, we'll so. get through it. Um, <laughs> but yes, this is a handy thing to have. It's very handy. We both use one of these every single day. Not the Multiple Hamilton times. Beach one. We have a different kind, but it's a glass tea kettle and it's got an electric base and you just press a button and it boils the water very quickly quick quicker than you could warm it up in the microwave and it boils like two liters of water almost so um yeah this is about the same size as we have very nice one this was only 27 dollars. i think i paid like 50 bucks for mine so you're doing good you found a good deal we also had the rachel ray oven lovin non-stick bakeware set three-piece set of pans um now what makes it non-stick because, um, you know, I really like those silicon mats or whatever for, like, baking cakes and pies and, yeah. and, and cookies. But these appear to be, like, just aluminum coated with, like, some kind of Teflon stuff or something like that. Um, so, yeah, you know, whatever. Um, but it's good. To, it's always good to have these um, these pans in case you want to bake something for sure. Um, oh, this is cool. A cash drawer, a heavy-duty compact 13-inch black manual push-open cash drawer with four bills and five coin tills. This is $64. Nice. Yeah, definitely need one of these. I feel like when I was a little girl, I used to play with one of these, like a play cash register, but it was like a real one, but I used to play with it like just as a toy with like fake money in it. (laughs) Yeah, they're fun. Yeah, they're kind of fun, like especially the ones that like make a sound when you open it or that you... Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's where the cash register sound effect come from. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's why I like money so much. <laughs> or <laughs> okay. maybe it's because I'm Janish. Um, <laughs> it's probably the latter. All right. We had the uh, we had like a light switch plate. 
that just got, you know, just like, you know, okay. turn it on and off. We had a ceiling mount occupancy sensor and switching relay. We had a little fuse, two amp midget time delay class CC fuse. Natural air odor eliminator air filter with baking soda. Um, $24 price point, so it keeps your kitchen smelling fresh. And finally, the Steam Controller Battery Door Faceplate for your Steam console. Oh, Game that's con- a handy thing. Yeah, $9.99. And that's it. That's it for stuff.sexandsciencehour.com, and that's going to do it for us. We're going to go to bed. Thanks for tuning yeah. in. Sexandsciencehour.com. Send us show prep questions, anything you like, at our contact link there on sexandsciencehour.com. We'll be back at you next week. Have a good one. It's been Sex and Science Hour. Bye.